I always want to put my best performance out there. It doesn't matter what it is. I am not satisfied with myself if I know that I could have done this. This is where you're meant to be. Like, I know it. I've never. My best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform at night. Gosh, man, that was, was a moment that changed my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. journey to a better you starts right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. On this week's show, I am joined by Aaliyah Miller for her second appearance on the podcast. I always enjoy people having back for round two. I feel like it just takes all the pressure off to have the perfect interview or to just ask all the right questions. We can sit down and just have a really good conversation, and that's what this week's about. So Aaliyah just qualified for the semifinals portion of the CrossFit game season, which in itself is a huge accomplishment. She, since the last time we talked, she actually moved to Kansas with the intention of finding a new coach, making it to the CrossFit games and kind of just seeing how far that she can take this sport. She also has a new podcast that we talked about. It's called the Rise Podcast. I will, of course, link that up in the show notes. If you guys enjoy this one, if you get to the end of it and you really feel inclined to share it, you can tag me on Instagram at better than yesterday pod, share it out on your story, just direct people my way. That would be absolutely amazing if you could do that. If you want to support the podcast a little bit further as well, I do have refocus bands for sale. They are $10. Just DM me on Instagram and I'll get it shipped out wherever you're located. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Really think you're going to enjoy this one. I am definitely rooting for Aaliyah at the Syndicate Crown, and I think by the end of this one, you guys will be as well. I've talked to a few people who were interested in starting podcasts, and it's funny because I get super excited when people want to start one, and then a lot of people I've talked to just end up not doing it, and you actually followed through, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would have if it hadn't been for Jeff. Um, he so, so we had talked about it probably back in like December. And I don't think I recorded my first episode until March. And that was three months of me sitting, look, looking at the microphone, sitting on my desk for three three months going, Oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. What the hell am I going to do? How do I even start a podcast? I'm so scared. And then he would text me, you know, every couple of days, every couple of weeks, Hey, any progress on the podcast? I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm work working on it. I don't know. I got to find a guest. I got to make questions. I got to come up with a name. And then finally I was just like, all right, I got to do it. <laughs> and I recorded the first episode with Jill and it was terrifying, but it was so much fun. And I finished and I was like, all right, I can do this. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. I messaged you. I was like, I am jealous how good your first episode turned out because oh gosh, thank you. I was so nervous to do my first one. And you know, you have all these expectations, like you're going to be a great interviewer. And then it's like, wait, like, what's my name? What's the guest name? Like, where are my notes? Like I, it was just crazy. So I mean, for you, the first one turned out really good. It's it's professional Thank sounding. Thank yeah. you. That means a lot because I was so scared. 
And like, it's, I mean, I've been on a couple podcasts at this point and it's so different being the interviewee versus the interviewer, which I'm sure, you know, like, it's like when somebody's asking you questions, you're just like, oh yeah, I can answer these questions. I can talk about myself or talk about this or that. But then when you're the one that has to come up with the questions, the whole time I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I'm trying to listen to what you're saying. And I'm also trying to figure out the next thing I'm going to say. So there's not this awkward silence or, you know, if we get super off track, how do I get us back on track? Oh my gosh. It's so hard. (laughs) I have a newfound respect for podcasters. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it all comes with time. It's like it's like anything. You have to you have to do it. You have to make mistakes. And really, until you turn the microphone on, like you can sit there and look at it, and you can read every book about starting one. But until you hit record and it's go time, you're just not gonna know what it's like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm talking about it like I'm going into battle or something. Like we're <laughs> having a conversation on Zoom. It's not that hard. Talking is hard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, so I like I wanted to talk about the podcast, obviously, and then you have your CrossFit game season that you're doing concurrently, which is uh, cool. I'm sure it's been tough to manage, especially quarterfinals and as you're ramping up towards semifinals. So let's kind of just dive into how the season's been going and then uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, so um, we are about two weeks out from semifinals right now. Um, started with the Open back in February. So uh, as you know, about end of September of last year, I dropped everything in New Jersey and picked up my life and moved out to Kansas. So I've been in Kansas since September training with uh, Jill Glassenap of Grit Performance. Um, She also coaches Jacob Hefner and Olivia Kerstetter. So I've been training with them every day for the past seven, eight months. with the goal of trying to make it to the games. Uh, When I came out here, I mean, the goal has been to make it to the games. I don't think that the games to me was a realistic goal when I got here, but over the past couple months, it's become much more realistic, which is really cool and really exciting. And uh, it's, it's really cool to see the progress that I've made since I've been here and just what a difference it can make having a coach there in person and also having like very high caliber training partners on a daily basis. And, you know, sometimes I do my first session of the day by myself. And when I go to my second session with Liv and Jacob, it's a completely different world and I'm pushing harder than I even knew I was capable of pushing and it's just it's been a crazy experience but um yeah made it through the open uh went into quarterfinals last year I finished quarterfinals 231 in North America and the top 120 make semifinals so I needed to cut about a little over 100 spots to make it to semifinals and I did it. Um, I think I finished 115 this year. Um, and I, that was just, I cried when it happened. I was so excited. Um, so I'm competing at the syndicate crown semifinal in Knoxville, uh, May 20th through the 22nd. And I'm so excited. Let's go. So, I mean, I was kind of 
I haven't kept up with this season as much as I have in previous years. Um, it gets a little confusing now that there's the Open and the quarterfinals. But I saw during the quarterfinals that you the first couple workouts didn't go so well placement-wise. And then it looked like the last two you really had to turn it on. So did you know like exactly what you needed to do on the last day? Is that something you and your coach talked about? Um. Yeah, so... I have always been somebody who I never really start out at the top of the leaderboard. I'm more of somebody who's just like consistent enough to creep up the leaderboard as more scores come in <laughs> or as more events happen. Um, so after the first two events of quarterfinals, um, I think I was, I want to say I was like 200 maybe or maybe three. No, I think it was somewhere in the two hundreds because I remember looking at it and I was like, wow, after two workouts, I'm already higher up on the leaderboard than I finished last year, which was really cool. And, um, I kind of expected that I would continue to creep up throughout the weekend, especially, um, event four was the strength event. And I am somebody who, uh, strength, strength events, favor. <laughs> um, and then the last event, uh, was very similar to the last event last year, which ended up being my best event last year. Um, so, you know, it was, it was rowing burpee, box jump, burpee, box jump overs and, uh, kind of a heavy snatch. Um, but because I am more of a strength biased athlete, a snatch was going to be no problem for me. Uh, and I knew that that was where I was going to kind of make my money. <laughs> um, but I did, so I did the fifth workout, the scores, the score for the last workout was due on Sunday afternoon. And I did the workout Saturday morning and that was it. Like I, I had done all the other four workouts, submitted my scores. And that was the last one I had to do. I did it Saturday morning. I got what I thought and what my coach thought was a very good time. And then I went home and I was thinking about it and I texted my coach and I was like, Hey, um, I think I should redo the workout tomorrow morning. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get better, but I need to know that I did absolutely everything I could to try and break into the 120. Cause going into the fifth workout, I was 151. So I needed 31 spots. I needed to jump 31 spots in that workout. And I was like, I just need to know that like, I don't want to, I don't want to have the scores post tomorrow and me sit there going, what if I redid it? What if I picked up an extra second or two and that would have jumped me into the 120. So I ended up redoing it Sunday morning. I literally only got one second better, <laughs> but I got better. Um, in the end, it wouldn't have mattered either way, but um I was very happy that I redid it because at that point I knew that I left everything on the table and there was nothing, nothing else that I could have done. So that's awesome. What's been different with the way this season is structured now? Like how would you say is anything different when you're approaching, let's say the open or quarterfinals, like kind of how you're peaking and how training's leading up into those things? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the open, as much as I love the open, it's really not important anymore. <laughs> um, it, for for people who are trying to make it to the semifinals and to the games, it's not important. I think it is very important for the greater CrossFit community. And I love 
uh, you know, our gym does Friday night lights and everybody comes on Friday night to do the open workout. We have different themes. We, it's like a big party. Everybody's there cheering everybody on. I absolutely love that. And I think that that is one of the cornerstones of the CrossFit community. And I hope that we never lose that. Um, but for somebody who, you know, can make it to semifinals and maybe to the games, the open is not really a competition like you just kind of have to do the workouts it, it doesn't matter how you do because even your worst performance is going to be more than enough to get you through that cut line of the top 10 percent um and that was something that i it, that's something that i still struggle with uh the first open workout this year it was that 15 minute amrap of wall walks dumbbell snatches and box jump overs and I wanted so badly to get 10 rounds. And I felt like 10 rounds was like, that's like an elite athlete score. Like if you get 10 rounds, you're good. And the first time I did it, I got, I think two or three box jump overs into my 10th round. So I didn't quite finish 10 rounds. And I was so disappointed and I ended up redoing the workout. Um, I redid the workout on Monday, still didn't finish 10 rounds. I was like two reps from finishing that time. Um, but it was really hard. Like, and, and at that point, like my score, whether I had redone it or not, my score was going to be fine. It was going to be well beyond what I needed to make top 10%. And I ended up finishing that workout like 98th percentile and I finished the open 99th percentile. So like, it wasn't an issue, but mentally it was so hard for me to just remind myself that like, okay, that just wasn't your workout. Maybe it was a bad weekend. Maybe, you know, there could have been so many factors playing into it about why I didn't get the score that I wanted or that I, the, you know, the number that I had in my mind. Um, and it was, it was a challenge, <laughs> but as the weeks went on and I saw, um, you know, the improvement in my performance, even just from last year and how much better I felt about where I'm at as an athlete right now, it was a lot easier to say, okay, that workout, you know, it is what it is. My score was going to be what it was going to be. And we, you know, it was enough and we move on and we get past it and, um, I think I made an Instagram post about it. And I think the quote I used was, you know, one workout doesn't define you and one workout doesn't define your fitness or your ability or your level or anything like that. It's, um, you have to just focus on the whole picture. Yeah. hundred percent. That's something I've been super interested in. Um, I follow a lot of the UFC and you see some of the guys there who, they train really hard leading into the fight and they're sparring and they're getting hit in the head a lot. And that's essentially what CrossFit is, doing a workout at 100% capacity. You're taking those blows to the head and it's not really good for you. And the open doesn't really matter. So I'm like, I'm confused as to why people go so hard. And that's, I mean, like, do you feel like you have to know what it's like to get there? Because I personally, if I've... One of the workouts that I did was Cindy back in the day, and I did like an elite Cindy time for or Cindy score for, you know, the average person, elite average. But I was like, I never want to push myself to that point again, you know, and it, do you feel like that affects you or you just as an elite athlete, you know that you have to always 
be willing to go to that place? I think if you want to compete at the highest level, you do have to be always willing to go there. But I also think that part of the reason that elite athletes get to that level is because like, I know for myself, I always want to put my best performance out there. It doesn't matter what it is. I am not satisfied with myself if I know that I could have done more. And like, and that really, it applies to anything. It's not just CrossFit and it's not just these open workouts or whatever. Like I always want to know that I gave 110% and left nothing to question. And like, I just, I wouldn't feel comfortable putting my name behind something that I knew wasn't my best work. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Maybe I'm just a lazy person. That's why. <laughs> well, but it, de it depends on what motivates you. Like if, if a CrossFit workout is not something that's going to get you motivated, it doesn't matter if you're doing the bare minimum or 110%, it's not what fires you up. Like you gotta, you gotta find what you're passionate about and go well, all in on that. And for me and for, you know, other elite CrossFitters, it's CrossFit. So we always want to go 110%. <laughs> Did you have a specific conversation with, um, you know, it, with your new coach, like, Hey, this is, was it like, this is what you need to do to get to the next level? You need to, because you packed up and moved across the country to a state that you didn't know anybody in. Is that something that it's like, yes, this is what you need to do, or you're just not going to get there? Um, I, so I had a phone call with her before I ever met her. Um, I, had, I had been connected with her through my nutrition coach, who is also at the gym out here. Um, and I had been talking with my nutrition coach after quarterfinals last year when I finished, you know, hundred spots outside of the cut. And I was like, I, I really want to make semifinals next year. And I think that I can do it. I just don't know how to make that jump. And, um, at the time I had reached out to a bunch of different people. I emailed, uh, Justin Kotler out in Vegas. It was like right before he started underdogs athletics, um, but I had emailed him. I emailed, uh, training think tank. I emailed comp train. I emailed all these different, um, like, uh, athlete camps because I, in the back of my mind, I knew that at the time I was working with, uh, actually my best friend, Elena, she was my coach and she's a phenomenal coach. Um, but she's never coached an elite athlete before. And, um, we also, both of us knew that really one of the big missing pieces was my environment because I was working out by myself all the time. Um, so I had gotten connected with Jill through my nutrition coach. We had a phone call. We talked on the phone for probably like an hour. Um, and I kind of told her where I was at as an athlete, what I was looking for in a coach in a training environment, all that kind of stuff. And, um, she brought me out to Kansas to visit for a weekend. I spent the weekend training with Liv. Um, it was right before Liv went to the games last year. So it was like her games prep. Um, loved it out here, loved the people, loved the community, loved the environment. Uh, so then went back home and about a month or two later, uh, I saw her at the CrossFit games and I was like, Hey Jill, 
I'm ready. I want to move to Kansas. Um, so when I got here, there were a couple things that like, I know, you know, I know I need to improve my aerobic capacity. I know that, um, longer workouts are, you know, where I tend to struggle or something like running, um, you know, that quote unquote engine as they call it. Um, and, you know, there's a couple other things here and there specifically that we knew that I needed to do some work on. Um, but I think the biggest thing was just being in an environment where I am constantly trying to chase somebody because I didn't have that back in New Jersey. Um, you know, maybe once every month or two, I'd get together with, you know, Evan and uh, Connor and all those guys at Jersey Devil and Raid and, and all those places. And we would train like all day on a Saturday and it would be so much fun. And I would push myself so hard, but then Monday morning, I'm back in the gym by myself for a month. Um, and so coming out here, I think we all knew that that change in environment was going to be the biggest thing that was going to help me push. Yeah. And kudos to your coach for saying like, essentially giving you the blessing, like saying, yeah, you need to do this, you know, because I think there's a lot of coaches out there who secretly want that athlete to push them over the edge, you know, like you could have been that first person that made it to the games. And instead, it's like, no, you need to go do your thing, like change the environment, change what you need to change. Yeah, Elena was incredible. She's still my best friend. Um, and she her and I talked a lot about it and she told me that she never wanted me to make a decision about what I need to do and where I need to be based on her. And she was going to support me no matter what I did. And like I said, I absolutely loved working with her. She's a fantastic coach. Um, and I think if I hadn't come out here, her and I would have been successful working together as coach and athlete. Um, but the cool thing is when I left, uh, she still coaches, but it actually kind of freed up her time to shift her focus. And now she's competing as well. And she's on a team that's competing at semifinals. And I am so excited that she now has the time to focus on competing herself um, because she was, she was really missing that. And she was really excited to get back into it. That's really cool. Yeah. Are you still active in the military as well? Yeah, I'm in the National Guard. I am still waiting for New Jersey to process my interstate transfer to the Kansas National Guard. Um, typical government takes forever. Um, but actually, when my transfer process is, I'm going into a unit out here in Kansas, uh, and I am supposed to be taking command of a company out here around July. So. Okay. Yeah, because that's what I was wondering. Like, are you able to just move across the country? Like, what is that process like? Yeah. So with the National Guard, um, it's a little bit easier with the National Guard because all the units are confined to a specific state. So right now I am still technically a member of the New Jersey National Guard, and I'm still technically in a unit in New Jersey. Um, but you can do what's called a substitute drill. So I've been doing my drills in Kansas with a unit in Kansas as a substitute for my new, my drills in New Jersey. Um, so I'm still, you know, actively drilling in the national guard. Um, I found a unit out here that will take me once my transfer processes. Um, 
And it's really just, it's, it's just paperwork that you have to do. Um, there's never really a situation where you would be denied an interstate transfer unless for some reason uh, you're what they call flagged, which means like you haven't passed a PT test or um, you have something negative on your record that needs to be rectified before the state can release you. Gotcha. How do you balance that? Like, is, is that difficult to manage with training? Um, a little bit. It definitely, uh, I mean, the nice thing is that drill is usually just a weekend. Um, so it might be like, you know, once a month I lose a weekend of training. Um, I think the hardest thing is the, the sleep. I lose a lot of sleep on drill weekends <laughs> and trying to kind of recover from that. Um, I need a lot of sleep. I sleep like eight or nine hours a night. <laughs> so when I'm only getting like five-ish hours during a drill weekend, it gets a little rough. Um, but uh, when I take command, it'll probably get a little bit more challenging because when you're in command, there is more that comes up kind of like between drill weekends. Um, and so there's, there's going to be a little bit more that I'll have to do in my quote unquote off time from the guard. Um, but, uh, I mean, I've been making it work. <laughs> um, and it's really just, I have to make a schedule. Like I have to know either a schedule or a to-do list or something of like, I, I put everything in my Google calendar. If it, even if it's like the smallest thing, like, Hey, I need to go grocery shopping on this day. I'll put it into my Google calendar so that I remember, Hey, when I leave the gym this day, I can't go straight home. I need to go to the grocery store. Cause it's going to be the only time I'm going to have to go grocery shopping for the next week. And so it's just like, I just have to schedule everything and, uh, it tends to work out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean that that's cool. It's funny. Like I was, um, I was just working all day and we're doing this at five 30 and I'm like, I have no energy, like not doing what I want to be doing five o'clock hit. And I'm like, let's go. Like I get to do this. So, <laughs> so yeah, I do think, um, you know, anything that you make a priority, you're going to make it a priority. So yeah. if it's training for you, if you have a week where it's not necessarily optimal, it's like, Hey, what can I, how can I do the best I can during this week? I'm not going to be sleeping as much. So maybe are you like dialing down the workouts leading into that weekend do you do you have a couple weeks out are you able to say like this is going to be my weekend where I'm going to lose some time and not going to be able to train as hard yeah I mean I won't necessarily dial back the training going into it but um you know if my drill is a Saturday Sunday normally I'm doing double days double sessions on Saturdays and I'm just not training that Saturday so you know I basically take two rest days instead of one um and then I'll come back on Monday hopefully do a double, but if that drill weekend has completely wrecked me and I know that I need to sleep more, okay, maybe I sleep on Monday, get my life together and only do one session on Monday night or something like that. Um, so it's, it's all about just like listening to my body and trusting that my body knows what I need. Um, so if, if I feel like I'm not ready to get back into it and hit it hard, then I scale back a little bit. Is that tough? Like being on a timeline though, like 
now when you're going into semifinals, you don't have the option to be like, okay, I'm not really feeling great, so I'm not going to do this workout. Yes and no. Um, I mean, it's definitely the training going into semifinals is a little bit higher pressure because it feels like this is where it really matters. But also at this point in the season, if I'm not there, I'm not there. And I'm not going to make that leap in two to three weeks. Um, The two to three weeks are really just about maintaining making sure I'm moving well, making sure I'm, you know, at least touching different movements and different skills here and there to make sure I'm not losing anything before semifinals. Um, but it, I would say that the more important training happens in the off season, because that's when you're actually building and making those big gains, making those big progressions to prepare for the upcoming season. So at this point, it's more important for me to listen to my body and prevent injury going into semifinals. I just thought of this, this coming right off the top of my head. Is there a movement at semifinals that could come up where you're like, oh shit. Is there like one specific thing where you think like, this is the worst possible thing that I could get? Handstand walk obstacle. It's been something that I've been working on for the past couple of weeks. Um, basically since semifinals became like a realistic thing for me and me and my coach were both like, Ooh, gotta, gotta work on that. Um, so I've been working on it a lot over the past couple of weeks and like that. So that, that would be one thing that like, maybe I will make some progress between now and two weeks from now. Um, but also I know that if a handstand walk obstacle comes up in semifinals, I'm not going to win that workout and that's okay. And my goal is just going to be to make it through that workout. (laughs) And it's something that, you know, now we know for the future, that is something that I need to hit hard in the off season. Yeah. I can't imagine going out and like hearing if you heard that you're like, oh, well, this one's not going to be good. Like (laughs) it's, it's gotta be hard mentally to go into the workout when you're already thinking, oh, this is like a really bad movement for me. Yeah, I mean, it can be hard, um, but I also, I love being presented with a challenge. And like, you could give me the absolute worst workout for all of my weaknesses, you know, throw a handstand walk obstacle in there and send me out onto the competition floor. And I'm still going to be so freaking pumped to be on that competition floor and I'm going to do everything in my power and outside of my power to make sure that I am doing that event like a hundred, 110%. <laughs> yeah. And you talked about it. I think on the last podcast that we did, like embracing the suck, that's yeah. always been something that you've prioritized. Yeah. Is that a military thing? It is. Yeah. Embrace the suck is a very common term at least in the army, I'm sure across the military in general, um, that, but that's like, um, I mean, it's, it's a big part of camaraderie in the army. And, you know, when you are suffering together, that's when you're building those bonds. And so we always say, you know, everybody's in a shitty situation. It's going to do no good to complain about it. And it's just going to piss you off and piss everybody else off. 
So just embrace it, embrace the suck, get through it together and you all come out on the other side better for it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it sucks when you're going through it, but after, after like you give each other high five and that's how CrossFit is like you, after the workout's done, no matter what it was, no matter how good or bad you've done. And everybody's been in the spot where you finish last in the class and everybody's cheering for you. And you're like, Oh my God, this is super embarrassing. But yeah, that's, what's cool. I love that we have something like CrossFit now that we can do that, you know, that's healthy for you that also you can build that camaraderie, especially like for adults. If you're like, if you go to a new city and you don't have that, you can just drop into a CrossFit gym and people are going to cheer for you. People are going to want you to do well. Yeah. That was the cool thing about coming to Kansas. I mean, when I moved out here, the only person I really knew was Jill. Um, and I got here and obviously training to make it to the games doesn't give you a lot of free time to go out and, you know, do things in the city or whatever, and doesn't really give you opportunities to meet new people. Um, but the walking into the gym, it was like walking into a new family that immediately they just embrace you, accept you and cheer for you. And it's incredible. Is it still pretty cold there? Um, it, it was warming up last week. I think we had a day and like, it was like 85 maybe. And we've been working out at the barn with the doors open a lot. It's been beautiful. And then this week has been terrible. It's been rainy and like thunderstorms. It's the weather is all over the place here. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, when I looked, we got a, I got my girlfriend a map for Christmas and I did not realize where Kansas was. I would have had no idea on a map where it was because it's like it's literally dead center of the United States. I always thought it was like kind of near Florida. (laughs) So, yeah, that's cool. Have you like what challenges have come up moving across the country? Like, has there any anything that's not gone well, you know, like transitioning into a new spot? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed it here so far. Um, It's been hard being away from my family, but I was away from my family in New Jersey as well. So all my family's in California. Um, When I moved out to New Jersey, it was the same thing. I didn't know anybody there. I moved out there for grad school. I showed up just me and my cats (laughs) and started grad school. And that was that. Um, so I think moving to New Jersey was really hard, just moving away from a support system and from everything I had ever known and, um, actually going into a situation where I, I didn't know anybody. Um, but I think because I had already done that once when I moved to New Jersey, it made the move to Kansas a lot easier because I kind of knew what to expect. Um, you know, I knew what it was going to feel like showing up somewhere, not knowing anybody, not knowing the area and just kind of having to figure it out. So it's, it's been fun. (laughs) Yeah. Don't want to throw anybody under the bus being like, oh, I hate this person now that I, now that I'm with them. (laughs) No, No, I've, I've had a lot of fun here. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Do you like the town that you're living in? Like, what's I uh, like? Do you can you walk places? I don't know. Do you enjoy um, it? I do. Um, so I live in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, so not like, Kansas City, Missouri. Not Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs> I am on the Kansas side. So if you think of like typical Kansas City, like downtown big city life, that is downtown Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I am right on the border of Kansas City, Kansas. Um, so basically I'm a suburb of Kansas City. Um, it's very, very quiet here. That was the first big thing that I realized when I moved out here. Uh, I moved out in September, so it was still, it would get cold enough at night that I could open the windows and have a nice breeze. Um, and I, in my first couple nights here, I remember having my windows open and just laying in bed and thinking how quiet it was. Cause you know, back in Trenton, I open my windows and I'm hearing sirens. I'm hearing gunshots. I'm hearing cars at all hours of the night, you know, people yelling outside my window, whatever it may be. And then I come here and I open my windows and I hear nothing. And it's, it's really, it was kind of eerie at first, but I like it a lot. Um, it's very open here. Um, there's, I mean, I could walk to like the convenience store on the corner or something like that. Um, but things are very spread out here. There's a lot of open space and a lot of like farmland and things like that. Um, it's very different, very different from Trenton. <laughs> um, and very different from Modesto, which is where I grew up in California. Um, but I like it. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you have, like, did you go there with the timeline? Hey, I'm going to try to make it to the games in three years or it, like, I'm going to leave after that. Is that something that you kind of had planned? Yeah. So when I was talking about coming out here, Jill and I had talked about, um, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to come out here and give myself two years to try and make it to the games. And at the time I was actually, I was in the application process for the FBI um, and I had been in the application process for about a year and a half. And I was getting to the point where they were uh, getting ready to offer me a slot in Quantico uh, for new agent training. And I like I had completed everything else. I had completed both uh, of the tests. There was a written test and then there was a, an interview. I had completed um, the polygraph, the background investigation, all that kind of stuff. And I, when I made the decision to move to Kansas, I had to email my applicant coordinator and I had just received an email from her like a week prior that was like, yeah, you should hear something about Quantico soon. And then I had to email her and say, Hey, I'd like to withdraw my application. Um, so my original plan when I moved out here was I'm going to give myself two years and whatever happens in two years, I'm going to go back to that application process and go into the FBI. Um, there, I would have had to like redo the background check and the, the polygraph, but my, uh, phase one and phase two test results would have been good indefinitely. Um, and I said, you know, I'll still be young enough because the FBI does have an age limit where you can apply. Um, so after two years, whatever happens happens and I'm going back. But since I've been here, <laughs> I've started to realize that this is what I'm really passionate about. 
And even if it's not competing, I think that my life needs to be in the fitness space, whatever that looks like. I don't know yet. Um, but this is what I want to do. So that's where I'm at right now. We'll see what happens. Um, I just started coaching at the gym about a month and a half ago. Um, so we'll see. (laughs) Wow. I love hearing that, like finding what it is you're meant to do. And like you said, you don't know what that's going to look like. That could completely change. Maybe your timeline is like, you go to the games as a master's or maybe you coach people who go to the games. It's like, yeah, it, I think it like a lot of people have trouble when your goals shift mm-hmm. to admit that, to be like, okay, this is, this was my plan. And then you're like, oh wait, that's not my, that's not what my plan was supposed to be. But <laughs> to actually kind of sit down and say, yeah, this is like, I'm going to shift. I'm going to change what, what I want to do. Yeah. And I, this is actually probably maybe the fourth time I've done this in my life. Um, you know, when I was an undergrad, my, my entire childhood, I thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, I went to undergrad, I was pre-med, was going to apply to med school. I actually did apply to med school. I took out like a $5,000 loan just to apply to med school. Um, applied to like 38 schools, got rejected from all 38. <laughs> um, but through that process, realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, I ended up working in a research lab for a couple of years, thought that I wanted to go into research. So I ended up in grad school, um, did grad school for two and a half years. I was in a PhD program, realized I was miserable. It wasn't what I wanted. So I left with my master's. (laughs) So I've gone through a lot of uh, decision points in my life and changes in my focus and my goals. And it feels weird to be sitting here at 30 years old saying, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but (laughs) I do know a handful of things that I don't want to be. And I think that's just as valuable. Maybe more valuable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like you could get there when you're 60 and be like, oh shit, I never wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. Like that would be way worse. And I mean, med school is a big one where, you know, people drop hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to med school and then they get out hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and then realize that it's not what they want to do. And that's not a good place to be. So I'm just happy I realized it before that. (laughs) And it's funny too, like you're probably the healthiest person who was applying to med school at that time. And then you get rejected and I'm sure people who are very unhealthy, ended up, you know, making it through the cut. But I was actually probably one of the most unhealthy people at the time. I didn't find fitness until uh, right before grad school. Oh, I was, I was overweight. Um, I walking around after I graduated from undergrad, I was probably 185, 190, not in a good way. Um, and I commissioned into the national guard because I did ROTC when I was an undergrad and I knew that I was going to have to take a PT test soon. And so I ended up finding a gym, getting into shape to the point where I could actually run two miles without stopping because that was our PT test. Um, 
and then it just took off from there. But at the time I was, I was drinking a lot. I was eating a lot of Taco Bell, McDonald's, all that kind of stuff. Um, didn't know how to cook. Didn't know really what it meant to be healthy. Um, but I am so thankful that I found fitness and CrossFit and health and learned about that and have been able to change my life and adjust Did you, that. I don't know if we talked about it the last time. Did you play any sports when you were growing up? I was a dancer and a gymnast. Um, so I danced competitively through my sophomore year of high school, I think. Um, and I was a gymnast up until I was maybe 12. Um, at one point I had to choose between dance and gymnastics because they were both getting to the point where I wasn't going to have time to do both. So I, I ended up choosing dance and I left gymnastics. Um, but I ended up leaving my dance studio in high school because there was a lot of drama at the studio and I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Um, and after I left, after I quit dance, I didn't really do any physical activity. I was like a drama nerd in high school, <laughs> um, went to college, tried to join a dance team, but it was just a disaster. The team was a lot of drama that I didn't want to deal with again. So I didn't end up doing it. And then, um, you know, I joined ROTC and we had, we had PT, but PT was not really much of anything at the time. Um, so I did like very, very minimal physical activity, basically whatever ROTC forced me to do. And that was it. I really enjoy when I hear people who went a long time not being healthy or not being into fitness because it just shows you like all of this stuff is reversible. Like if you if you don't enjoy fitness or if you don't like some I think some people view themselves as yeah, like I'm not healthy. I don't eat good, like I smoke, I drink a lot. Like any of those things, you can change that. Yeah. There's a lot of people who have changed that. There's people, there's fighters who, you know, join a gym and they're 300 pounds and then they end up in the UFC. And there's, you know, people in CrossFit who found it at 50, 60 years old. I, yeah. I really enjoy hearing about that. It's, I think it's so cool. And now being on the other side of it and seeing, seeing people in the position that I used to be in and just coming into it that's that's one of the reasons why I am so excited to be coaching now because I love having the opportunity to help somebody change their life for the better and it's it's one of the coolest and most valuable things ever I think to be able to show somebody like when people come into the gym and they're self-conscious or nervous or they don't think it's going to work for them I pull up my old pictures I'm like hey look this is what I looked like you know, five, six years ago, look at me now. Like literally you can do anything you want. You just have to commit to it. I think sometimes we need a reminder though, because it's very easy. Like, especially when you start getting good at something, you forget what it was like in the beginning. Yeah. And you kind of forget to tell people who are struggling. Like, I know I do that at the gym. Like if there's somebody who it maybe isn't doing well or isn't doing as well as they thought they were going to be doing, it would go such a long way to just be like, Hey, we were all at this, at this point. Like you yeah. just got to keep showing up. 
Yeah. So I think that's a good reminder for people. Yeah. There's, um, there's a guy at my gym right now that, um, we do some, uh, personal training sessions and he wants so badly to, you know, improve his skills and things like handstand walks, muscle ups, things like that. And he gets so frustrated when he's not seeing the progress that he thinks he should be seeing. And myself and Jill, who also coaches him, we have to remind him all the time. Jill always tells him, um, the muscle that you need to work on the most is your patient's muscle because you've only been doing this for 12 months. And the fact that you can even handstand walk or muscle up at all after 12 months is incredible. And I, I sit there and I tell him, I'm like, do you not realize it took me like four years to get my first muscle up and you're here stringing them together in a workout after 12 months. <laughs> like That is huge. Um, and, and I think it's very easy to get caught up in kind of like the, I guess the theatrics of competitive CrossFit and all of like the cool, sexy, high skill stuff and, and forget that that stuff takes years to master and you just, like you said, you just have to keep showing up. Yeah. I think that's just a problem with, you know, I, I'm always bitching about social media, but like, you know, you only see the last post. Yep. Nobody, nobody goes back three years from now and looks at what Aaliyah was doing back then. <laughs> it's like, you see that post of you doing crazy heavy snatches and handstand walking and ring muscle ups and you're you don't respect the three, four, five, six years that it took to actually do that one single movement. Yeah. And honestly, sometimes it's hard for myself to remember that. Like I forget sometimes how far I've come and I'll have a frustrating day at the gym where, you know, I missed my 165 snatch three times. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, five years ago, I couldn't even snatch 125. And now I'm complaining about missing 165. Like you got to put everything in perspective. <laughs> Are you, do you do any like journaling practice or anything like that? I have tried to get into journaling and I don't know if I just haven't found the right technique for it, or if I'm just not a journaling person, I don't know if that's a thing, but I, like I've tried so hard to do it and I always fall off after like a week. Okay. <laughs> the reason I ask is just cause you seem like a very introspective person. It seems like you, you think things through a lot and like you're <laughs> able to appreciate your own self, you know? I do think things through a lot. My coach tells me that I'm, uh, very cerebral. <laughs> um, but I think, I think for me, I don't necessarily need to put it on paper to fully like absorb it or comprehend it or think it through. Um, I talk a lot <laughs> and I think I end up talking through a lot of what I would otherwise maybe need to journal. Um, and Maybe, maybe I'm lucky that way because I have people that I can talk to a lot. Um, you know, Elena, my best friend who used to be my coach, we talk on the phone all the time. Um, and we talk about a lot of that stuff. And I talk to my parents. I call them pretty much every day. Um, I talk to my brother, my sister. Um, and I think 
having that outlet to be able to talk to people, I just don't feel the need to write things down because I get it out in other ways, I guess. Yeah, that's good. I guess you just have to get it out in some way, like whatever yeah. way is good for you. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought of it like that because I'm I'm way more introverted person. So journaling is really good for me because the stuff that I don't have to say out loud, I can write down. Yeah, I think maybe maybe like seven or eight years ago, it would have been really good for me to journal because I don't think I was as open back then. But I think over the past couple of years, I've become much more open and I think I have built stronger relationships with my family and with my close friends that I feel comfortable talking about anything with them. Have you started to, like, I know you're doing the podcast now, which is great. I think so many people should, especially athletes, like when you go to semifinals, like you, you get a little bump in your platform. So like, it, it is good that you have the podcast to be doing, but like, do you think of CrossFit as something that's going to be your competitive career is what you want to be known for? Or is it like, hey, I'm just competing because I like it and I'm good at it. And then down the road, like you see coaching as more like kind of walk me through what you think of competing, you know? Yeah. I mean, OK, so I love competing just because I love seeing what I am capable of. Like that's, that's really it for me. I want to know what I can do and I want to see where I can get when I am the best that I can be. Um, obviously making it to the games is a huge dream of mine and a huge goal. Um, but it's actually, it's interesting. I don't think I've ever actually said this out loud before, but I have visions of if I make it to the games, I don't envision myself necessarily on the podium. I envision myself as like winning the spirit of the games. Like that would be the ultimate goal for me because I just love the sport and the community so much that that's what I want. I want to be the person that, that brings happiness into the sport and celebrating other people's successes. And like, that's, that's what makes me really happy. Um, and I think, you know, if I ever make it to the games and I have that, that would, that would be a good avenue to create a platform for me to be able to, um, influence what I want to influence in the sport, if that makes sense. Um, so it's not necessarily that I want to be known for going to the games. I want to be able to make changes in the sport for the better. So we're going to bookmark this timestamp. And then when you do make it to the games, we'll play it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That'll be really sweet. So what, uh, what goals do you have coming up with the podcast? Like where do you hope to take that? Oh man. Okay. So the podcast really started, um, so my friend Jeff, he has a daughter who is um, getting to the age where it's like uncool to listen to your dad now. Like she's becoming a teenager. She wants to go hang out with her friends and like you parents, why? <laughs> um, but um, 
and I think you said you listened to the episode with Jeff. So mm-hmm. you know that uh, Jeff's background, he grew up in and out of the foster system. He spent uh, an ex- ex- extended period of time in an inpatient rehab center when he was younger um, because he didn't have the skills or mechanisms to cope with what he was going through at the time. So he turned to drugs. Um, he now has a daughter who like his goal in life is to make sure that she never ends up in a situation where she doesn't have the skills or mechanisms to cope with something and ends up like he did. So, um, the idea behind the podcast and like the, the driving factor for him wanting this podcast to be created, uh, was to provide an avenue for his daughter to listen to people, to listen to people's stories, to hear from people who have gone through maybe the same or something similar to what she's going through and have come out on the other side, um, you know, kind of like, hey, you're not alone in this. Everybody goes through this. It's going to be okay. You'll get through it. This is how you can get through it. Um, so the podcast is meant to almost be like um, an archive for his daughter to go back and listen to, uh, to help her get through things in her life. And then obviously, because it's a public podcast, then the goal becomes creating that same resource for anybody and everybody who wants to listen to it. So just providing um, almost reassurance, but also resources and, you know, maybe techniques and strategies to help get through whatever difficulties you might be facing. Yeah, that's great. I think, so when I started the podcast, I thought, you know, I was just going to interview the people with the most followers on Instagram. And that's how it was going to, you know, it was just going to grow like, like a straight line trajectory. And I'm just going to be this famous podcaster. But (laughs) what I'm noticing is there's so many people out there with really cool stories who don't necessarily have that platform to get it out there. And even it doesn't matter what your platform is, even if it's really small and like, I got a message the other day from somebody and I was like, if I, if this podcast never does anything, like I was able to affect the way somebody thought. And it took me a long time to actually understand that, like what success meant, you know, success doesn't have to mean how many followers your podcast gets or how many people are listening, like making a difference for one person's daughter. Like that's a, that's a lofty goal. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, I think last time I looked on Anchor, I, uh, I have 24 listeners, which to so many people is going to be like, oh, only 24, that's nothing. But for me, the fact that 24 different people want to listen to what I have to say and what somebody else has to say, and like the chances of them actually taking something from that, that's 24 people whose lives I may now have directly affected, hopefully for the better. Um, and that is, that's really cool. It's like one of those things, um, I think it was a, a trend on Instagram reels or something. And it was like, um, like content creators or like just people who have like online shops and things like that. And 
and it's like oh you know maybe my reel only got 300 views and 40 likes but if i was like a brick and mortar shop and 300 people came and looked through my window in a single day that's huge and like that like it again it's putting things in perspective and realizing that you don't have to have half a million followers to make an impact or to change somebody's life it could be a single person and if even a single person if you're changing somebody's life for the better that's a success yeah i think it's just like it goes back to we're always comparing ourselves like you're you're always seeing and that's the same thing with you in crossfit like people might look at you and be like wow i'm never gonna get to that point in crossfit but it's not about I mean, how good you are at CrossFit, like that really doesn't define you as a person. Like, and you said you've changed your goals a lot in your life. You've made a lot of like drastic, hey, I'm going to do this. And then it's like, no, nah, that wasn't the thing. I'm going to do this. <laughs> no, nah, that wasn't it either. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, yeah, that comparison, it's just like reshaping what, what success looks like to you. Yeah. And it's, it's social media makes it so much harder. Um, and so I, I think it's just, it's important for people to remember that social media is not real life. <laughs> and sometimes you need to take a step back and realize that just because somebody says it on Instagram doesn't mean it's real or true or should ever apply to you. Do you have a hard time with that? Especially, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like with, um, quarterfinals like were you looking at what other people were doing oh yeah adjusting yeah and I know that I shouldn't be but I do it anyway and you know um before they would post the leaderboard updates for quarterfinals I would see um you know other girls posting videos or scores on Instagram and I'm like oh no I need to redo this workout and and it's all it's for the most part, they're very fleeting thoughts. And I am mostly able to kind of snap myself out of it and say, hey, no, what you're doing is good enough. And, you know, this is just, somebody's going to post on Instagram if they did something that's like phenomenal. Most people aren't going to post their mediocre average everyday performances. So <laughs> that's what I have to constantly remind myself of. Um, especially in something like quarterfinals where um, it's a blind leaderboard. So you don't know people's scores until after the deadline. So if somebody is posting their score before the deadline, it's because they think that they're going to have one of the top scores and like, okay, that's okay. Maybe I don't have the top score, but my score is going to be enough. And that's, it's hard, but that's what I have to remind myself when stuff like that happens. Yeah. I think you have such a good attitude. Like, I, I really do. I think you're going to be really successful in the sport. And whatever you do decide to be when you grow up, you're going to be successful at that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, where can people go if they want to check out the podcast or just uh, follow you? Are you going to be posting for uh, quarterfinals, like updates and stuff too? Yeah, I actually... So, um there's these two girls, Jess and Nicole. I actually interviewed them on my podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, they own 
power branding and mobility athletes, and they offer a branding and body package for semifinals athletes. So I am going to be um, utilizing their branding and body package during semifinals. So Jess will be running my social media for the weekend. So you can follow along the story of semifinals at Syndicate Crown. Um, my Instagram is at Aaliyah underscore Miller. It's E-L-L-I-A underscore M-I-L-L-E-R. Um, if you'd like to listen to the podcast, it's called the Rise Podcast. And the Instagram is at risepodcast.us. So rise like R-I-S-E. And yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll get that linked up in the show notes so you can head right there. And definitely do give the podcast a, a listen. I um I mentioned before off air, there was a few episodes that I really liked. The episode with Daryl was really good. I forget her last name, but I really enjoyed that one. Daryl Aurora. She's okay. awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, keep doing what you're doing. I'm really excited to keep watching your journey. Thank you, Angelo. Thanks for having me on.